1: Money starts right now live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feynman, Brian Kelly and Gaia Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is judgment day for the banks as they gear up to kick off earnings season tomorrow morning and analysts aren't expecting much from Wall Street, but that might be a good thing for the stocks. Plus, the Nasdaq surging to a record high today as tech stocks are going wild. But it's not just the Fang stocks. The traders will give you the alt Fang trade that could heat up your portfolio. But first, We start off with the bombshell breaking in just the last few moments. The Department of Justice challenging the ruling on the AT&T Time Warner deal. Let's get straight to Julia Borson in Sun Valley, Idaho for all the details. Julia.
2: Well, Melissa, the Department of Justice saying it will appeal federal Judge Leon's approval of AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner. The appeal is likely, um, the appeal like the original suit to block the case is on antitrust grounds. And we just seconds ago got a response from Time Warner, I'm sorry, got a response from AT&T, AT&T saying the court's decision could hardly have been more thorough, fact-based and well-reasoned, while the losing party and litigator has always the right to appeal if it wishes, we are surprised that the DOJ has chosen to do so under these circumstances we are ready to defend the court's decision at the DC Court of Appeals. Um, so it's just amazing to hear from AT&T immediately on that um, but this is definitely incredibly surprising because Judge Leon ruled so definitively just a month ago he did not require any conditions on AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner and the companies have already moved forward with their integration. Now AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson previously has said that they were CONFIDENT THAT THEY WOULD WIN ANY APPEAL BECAUSE OF THE JUDGES' DETAILED AND COMPREHENSIVE REJECTION OF THE GOVERNMENT'S CASE TO BLOCK THE DEAL. NOW at t SHARES DROPPED ABOUT a, a 1.5% EARLIER. NOW WE SEE THEY'RE DOWN JUST OVER 1%. Um, but it'll be just fascinating to see what happens next. Now, Randall Stevenson is scheduled to sit down with me in an exclusive interview tomorrow morning on Squawk Box at 8.15 a.m. Eastern. My understanding is that he was flying into Sun Valley today. I'm not sure if he's on the ground already or heading in, but we can't wait to hear what he has to say about this, this surprise decision to appeal.
1: Now, the surprising thing about this whole thing, Julia, well, everything about this is surprising, really, I mean, to be honest, but uh, the, Fed, the feds could have sought a stay after the ruling that would have prevented the deal from actually going through, and they did not seek a stay. And so for this to come a month plus later is, is just puzzling. It is, it is puzzling.
2: There was a point when the, when the ruling was coming that we were trying to evaluate what would happen in the ruling. And Judge Leon could have ruled in favor of this deal going through, but in such a way that would have really opened the door for an appeal. He could have required conditions. He could have enabled a stay. But the fact that there was no stay um, demanded at the time, no stay requested at the time, and it seems like Judge Leon was so definitive in his ruling that he would not have approved any sort of stay, there would not have been the possibility for a stay, meant that the deal was considered almost sort of unanimous, in it's um, what it meant for the industry. And so remember what happened after Judge Leon's ruling, Comcast took that as an indication that they could go forward and make their official bid for Fox. So you had that Fox bid from Comcast, and talking to the media moguls here in Sun Valley, the folks here in Sun Valley say that that ruling definitively in favor of AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner is really seen as an endorsement of the potential for deals to go forward. We heard that from David Zaslov, the CEO of Discovery. Um, we heard it from Steve Case, um, who, of course, did that epic AOL Time Warner deal 20 years ago. So I think everyone here will be shocked by this decision to appeal, especially now a month after judge leon's ruling this
1: this has got to be viewed as a setback in terms of comcast's effort to to win over fox i mean with the shareholder vote the disney fox shareholder vote coming uh you know on the 27th there's not that much time to figure this all out
2: well i i think that this um I, i think you have to break apart the different things that are going on right now in the fox disney Comcast Sky um, sort of battle slash love triangle right now because this really doesn't impact Sky. Um, There's no regulatory impact on Sky, which is, of course, a UK company. Um, It could potentially make Comcast even more interested in Sky because it could indicate that there would be regulatory roadblocks um, for Comcast in its pursuit of Fox. Now, of course, Disney already has that DOJ approval for Fox. This could support Rupert Murdoch's original um, original comment that he thinks that Disney has more regulatory potential um, to be approved than uh, than Comcast does. So because of course, the Disney deals already Disney Fox deals already been approved. Comcast may come back with another offer, but that could face regulatory roadblocks. And now especially that we see this this um, announcement of an appeal, it seems there's a higher likelihood of a regulatory roadblock than um, than back when Judge Leon ruled so definitively. In favor of consolidation in general, um, so I think the key thing is that AT&T-Time Warner is a vertical merger. Um, Comcast-Fox would be a horizontal and also a vertical merger. But whereas with Disney, it's much more of um, a, a sort of Disney-Fox that's already been appealed. So I think I'm sorry, it's already been approved. Um, now that we have this appeal, I think a lot is called into question. Um, but there's also the, the fact that Randall Stevenson said it directly. They don't think that an appeal has a shot um, because the judge was so definitive in his original
1: ruling. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson and Sun Valley. Um, let's trade this. A couple issues here, of course. What does this mean for AT&T? That's most obvious. And then what does this mean for Comcast bid for Fox, which... Uh, I mean, that whole drama is still unfolding here.
3: I'll I'll take the AT&T, and Tim and I are going to disagree. That's what makes markets. But I think AT&T's problems, the fact that the stock's lower, the stock is probably going lower anyway. I mean, Craig Moffat will come on. They have a debt problem. They have an earnings problem. There's no earnings growth. And they have a huge balance sheet problem. So you have to ask yourself, what's the right price for the stock? At a certain point, in my opinion, it becomes compelling. But I think Credit Suisse just put a $29 price tag. That's obviously lower than we are now. And I think that's where the trend continues. So I get this is a big news story, but I think it was trending that way lower anyway.
1: Doesn't this well, make the make the situation all that much worse? They're going to be entangled in another legal battle on top of it, what it does. But I mean, look, have?
4: AT&T stock has been damned if it does, damned if it doesn't. On this, I mean, AT&T stock has been in freefall um, for the last six months, and and even going back to the first announcement by the DOJ that they were going to pursue an antitrust. So um, to me, seeing the stock fall on this news is kind of crazy because the stock didn't rise when it got the approval. Um, You're you're playing AT&T for for two reasons. One, I think just the multiple at this point is so darn cheap. I totally agree with Guy that the balance sheet is one thing. The margins are another. Look, the wireless space is uber, uber competitive right now. But I think these guys actually have a pathway to to go straight to the consumer. And I think I believe in the vision and I believe that they got these assets in Time Warner if this deal does go through, and we you know, we don't know that. Very, very cheap relative to what's going on in the rest of the sector.
5: What's uh, your take? Well, so many parts. First of all, I just can't even believe that they did it. And it makes me sort of, the, the conspiracy theorist in me wonders, all right, who really benefits from this? Well, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch does if he wants to get a Fox-Disney deal done, given that this yeah. same DOJ has already approved their deal, right? right? So anything they can do to throw a roadblock in, in Comcast's way, great. Now, I don't know if he has that kind of power Swing. or not, who knows, but that just popped into my head. Also, it makes me think, okay, if Fox Disney is more likely, then Comcast Sky is also more likely, which means Sky should probably not trade at the premium over their last bid that it, that it currently does. I just, I can't understand who, I don't know if it was the Solicitor General or who, was it the President, who ultimately made this decision to appeal on a case that was embarrassing in the first place right. because they were so resoundly rejected so let's to come General, back and do yeah, it again it was
4: apparently the roadblock internally inside the DOJ that they needed the, they needed to, they, to get to go after But how after did, it
0: they, again. Get how did they get him on board? I, I don't know. It I, just I makes know, no sense yeah. to me. The whole the whole thing's nuts. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're supposed to be in an environment where it's business friendly, mm-hmm. and you've got you know, lawsuit after lawsuit, DOJ coming in appeals. It's insane. But let's just take AT and T and forget all the news and just look at the way. Traded and why you might want to buy it. You look at AT&T, thirty dollars, give or take twenty-five cents, has pretty much been the support level for a long time here. You have got a decent dividend. Yes, they've got debt, but if they can even just get a bit of growth, just a little bit of growth out of these deals and get some traction, then I actually think you've got a great risk reward here.
3: See, that's what Direct TV was supposed to do for them, and it, it doesn't seem like right. It doesn't seem like that was ever monetized. If you look. I don't know exactly when that was announced, but here's a stock that's gone from basically $44 down to $32 in an environment where they should do, be doing a lot better, quite frankly, given the broader market and given what's going on in the space. So I understand what Tim is saying, but it, they might be damned if they do, damned if they don't at this point. The stock might just be trading lower regardless. Right.
1: Um, let's, let's sort of go with the uh, tentacles of this whole thing. Uh, Fox trade lower, no? I mean, there's no yeah. more I bidding mean, they're, they're, uh, I mean, if you gain this out. It's not no more.
5: It's just a little bit likely likely likely. less likely. you got to
1: pause a little bit if you're coming.
4: But then why would I, – I know a you just bit. threw this out there as a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I just – you know, But why
5: would Rupert – you know, there's nothing
4: good for his bottom line or in terms of how much money he could get from a deal that might I have a I think he would war.
5: prefer a cash stock deal, right, where he gets the tax benefits of having a stock deal, but enough cash to appease the shareholder base. And I think he would prefer to have Iger running the combined entity for the for the assets.
4: I, I guess, and I, that all makes a lot of sense. It's a smart thought, but I, I, I think ultimately he's driven by who's going to pay me more money for this asset. And but after stock,
2: tax might be the same. Tax versus uh,
4: tax for I mean, sorry, stock versus cash is a relevant argument. Um, but right now it looks like Fox uh, uh, Comcast had a lot more aggression to go after those Fox assets. But even if
1: you were open to the highest dollar for your company. Wouldn't this make you question as to whether or not you can get regulatory approval, which would then, you know, that right. would be a, market a dollar today a possible, or July 27th right, or whatever. they. Be what no what question. With. And,
4: yeah. and let's, let's be clear. I mean, Comcast went into high gear the minute this, this yeah. at and Time Warner deal got resolved. So absolutely right. And what we've already said a few times today, it looks like Disney uh, and, and Fox is a deal that the regulators are cool on. In fact, I think we knew that months ago.
0: Yeah, but but to your point, I think what it does is it just throws cold water on any type of, you know, merge your friends or anything because now you got to think about this again. Now, maybe this doesn't go through, probably doesn't, but at least you have to think about it. So it takes some of the premium off, some of these stocks. Again, I still keep going back. Look, look at how the stocks are trading. I would have rather seen all of these people buy some sort of esports, EA games, take two, something like that. That to me is where the growth is. I don't understand this whole thing. The, the whole deal is crazy to me.
3: Then you look for companies that are selling. Like, what companies can stand on their own without M&A? In the, I think CBS on valuation mm-hmm. still makes sense. It's had a huge run from 50 to basically 60 in a month and a half, and it's probably selling off in the aftermarket. But on valuation and a company that can stand on its own regardless, without all the MA noise, I think if there's a sell-off in CBS, you buy that sell-off.
1: All right. Well, let's bring in Craig Moffitt from Moffitt Nathanson, who joins us now on the phone. Craig, thanks so much for phoning in on this breaking news what's your take of what's going on here
6: well I, I, I'm as surprised as everybody else uh, the 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 decision was a resounding decision and the judge went out of his way to say don't bother to appeal this um, and from what I from what we understand the Solicitor General um, was pushing back to the DOJ and uh, was himself uh, resistant to the idea of appealing the transaction so uh, so um, but look, there is there is a window here um, where you can argue um, a weakness in Judge Leon's ruling, and that is that Judge Leon effectively rejected the premise on its face that AT&T would take into consideration that it's an integrated company when it's negotiating a Turner um, programming agreement. And his logic was, well, the people at Comcast said that NBC doesn't take into account that they're owned by Comcast, they don't negotiate any differently, so why would it matter? And it's just not a terribly credible argument to say that an integrated company doesn't take into account that it's an integrated company. And if you reject that premise, I suppose there's at least a little sliver of a window to say that the... the, there is a, a basis for an appeal here. That has to be, at least my, my early guess, is that has to be what they appeal. I don't know what their odds are, but that has to be the argument that they make.
1: Let's say that sliver becomes the wedge um, with which the, the feds are able to overturn the ruling. Um, how does AT&T undo, undo what's been done? Has there been a lot of integration? And ultimately, do you think AT&T is better off without the deal?
6: Well, it's funny. So first on the, the integration, remember when they closed this deal, um, it, they agreed with the DOJ that uh, in return for, for not seeking a stay, they would keep the two assets separate until the DOJ formally decided whether they would appeal. So now the DOJ will have to make sure they don't start with the integration but up to now they haven't really started the integration of the two companies or at least supposedly they haven't started the integration. So that in itself shouldn't be um too big a hurdle. Um again the the real the real issue here is just um the 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 decision from Judge Leon was so definitive that it it it's it, I, I made one argument that they would make, but there aren't a lot of arguments you can make for appealing this case, and um, and so it, it's a sur- it has to be a surprise. Um, the, the second part of your question, um, uh, which is are they better off or worse off, I've always thought that they were better off for the income statement, but worse off for the balance sheet if they have Time Warner. And so um, whether you think the balance sheet is more important or the income statement is more important determines whether it's good news or bad news. Um, the balance sheet has been dominating the conversation. And so, uh, um, uh, like Guy, I was surprised that it didn't actually trade up a little bit um, after, after this announcement, because up to now, people have been treating it as bad news.
1: So if you think that this uh, decision is unlikely to be overturned, do you think that... How do you... Where do you stand on how this might impact Comcast's bid for Fox?
6: I, I think it, 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 the, the, the way the, you guys had it was exactly right, that this gives air cover to the Fox board to choose the Disney bid instead. That's what they want to do anyway. This just strengthens their hand in doing that, and so it is another nail in the coffin of any real chance for Comcast to get that asset. I think the market was already trading based on today's uh, or, or last night's Comcast bid for, uh, for Sky. I think the market was already trading the expectation that Comcast was all but out of it for Fox, right. um, and I think now this is sort of the last nail in that coffin. So right. um, it, they're probably you're probably not going to see Comcast be able to do much more on Fox. Is my guess, and now you have to just figure out how hard are they going to go to try to get Sky as a standalone, and then what happens in the fact that in, in the circumstance that in that case Disney would own part of. Sky and Comcast would own the majority.
1: How quickly uh, could this appeal take place, Craig, in your view? And um, will this stall any other potential media mergers that could be in the works? I mean, the Allen Company conference is going on right now in Sun Valley. I'm sure everybody's talking about who's going to buy whom, or who I can sell this company to, and and maybe that all gets stopped.
6: Yeah, it's, remember, everything was frozen while the deal was pending, and for all intents and purposes, the deal is pending again. So, It's not crazy to think that a lot of this stuff is going to be frozen again, with with the exception of Fox, because they already have the green light at Fox to go forward Um, with Disney. That is, Um, I I don't know how quickly this could happen. Um, I think you'd probably have the DOJ asking for at least a a very expedited decision about whether the the court will take the appeal. That you might be able to get done in a matter of weeks, Um, but then. If they take the appeal, how long it would take um, for the appeal to happen? I don't know.
1: All right, Craig. Thank you so much. Great to have your analysis on this breaking news. Craig Moffett of Moffett Nathanson. I just think of Sun Valley as like a huge dance party, and I know, the and then all of a sudden it just showed up, <laughs> yeah, like and the, the music stopped, yeah. yeah. and record. somebody yeah. turned the
5: lights on. Yeah. A whole different. That usually time. happens a lot.
1: Walking
3: <laughs> every night. Everybody leaves. What's so your what, okay? What's, what's my you want trade, to trade off the what, back yeah. of all?
1: What's the most interesting? Is there, trade or out is there, there one right now?
3: Maybe yeah, there I think. Isn't well, one. I think this is probably. I mean, if Viacom was bid up on any of the takeover speculation, I think that hurts Viacom in a major way. But I think CBS, out of all the ones you look at, can stand on its own in this environment.
4: AT and T just on valuation. It's a wireless company, better than Verizon. That's my view. I'll go a
0: little wild and say Lionsgate for the content.
1: We'll have much more on the story as it develops throughout the hour. And don't forget, at and CEO Randall Stevenson will join us tomorrow morning, 8.15 a.m. on Squawk Box. Coming up right now, McDonald's is falling after hours on reports of a foodborne illness linked to the fast food chain. We'll bring you the latest details, plus it's judgment day for the beaten down bank stocks with earnings kicking off tomorrow. Top technician says this could be the perfect buying opportunity. Plus, this crypto investor is so bullish, he said he put his mother's money in Bitcoin, So what's he telling his mom now about the Bitcoin bear market? He will be here. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM? it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on McDonald's, which is sinking in the
8: after hour session. Kate Rogers is in the newsroom with the details. Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. The Illinois Department of Public Health says it's received confirmation of approximately 90 cases of foodborne illness and says the initial investigation indicates a link to consumption of McDonald's salads produced for McDonald's restaurants. They're saying approximately a quarter of the Illinois cases reported eating salads from McDonald's in the days before they came ill. They also mentioned the Iowa Department of Public Health has noted a similar increase in cases. In a statement, they said, quote, although a link has been made to salads sold in McDonald's restaurants in some Illinois cases, public health officials continue to investigate other sources. As you mentioned, the stock is down around 1% in the after hours here on light volume. We also reached out to McDonald's for comment, but we have not yet heard back from them. We'll let you know if we do. Back over to you.
1: Kate, right now, do we know if this is confined to a, a certain restaurant or a restaurant in a particular city or if this has to do with the supply chain?
8: They're saying McDonald's salads produced for McDonald's restaurants right now in the state of Illinois and also the Iowa Department of Public Health is saying that they've seen similar uh, cases. We don't know yet if it's contained and, and if it's any specific cities, Melissa. All
1: right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers in the newsroom. You hear this and you think Chipotle. Is right. this going to mm-hmm. be McDonald's Chipotle moment? What do you
0: think? Well, listen, the chart looked terrible going into this, so it's certainly not going to help out. Now, if this is an isolated event, these things happen, it's probably, you probably ignore it. But you do have to con- be concerned that you have some kind of reputational hit here. I, come on. I mean, I'm not going to McDonald's for a chef salad. I'm, I'm going there for
4: a burger. By the way, the irony here is that McDonald's going to fresh beef. And I think there's a halo effect on their brand from this. They haven't even pinpointed, but let's say they do. Well, what's on
1: uh, that fresh uh, beef burger? Well, is lettuce on that fresh beef burger? I, I don't know. But I think I people are not. Worried. But
4: when I go to Chipotle, I'm going there for a meal where lettuce and fresh vegetables are a key part of what I'm doing. I, I just don't think this is the same thing. Obviously, we don't know the details here. But if you think about the brand, you think about where McDonald's is coming from, Chipotle's whole world is built off of we are natural, we are organic, we're different. Um, And McDonald's, frankly, has not done that. And McDonald's has been very successful in a world without that.
3: However, if you're looking at McDonald's for a reason to sell on valuation, which is, I mean, I think it's we all agree, it's, yeah. it's gotten a little expensive and Although the earnings might not at, be there. But
4: look at Shake Shack. I mean, look, look at your different,
3: different. I worked at Shake Shack, I didn't work you at You worked McDonald's. at every <laughs> one of them. Domino's. I mean, I, you know. I mean, it's by the way, you probably list. could
4: tell us a thing or two about the inside. You know, I, look, I just look at the sector, and the irony, again, is that that entire sector's been on fire. If you've been a beaten up fast food company over the last six months, you've you've been on fire. That's Denny's, um, that's Shake Shack, that's Don, Chipotle. It's I don't think this is that time.
1: So These quick serve restaurants, Karen. Uh,
5: well, I don't. I'm long Del Taco. I hope that they have a different supply chain. <laughs> but I am a little worried of you know people freaking out about supply chains in general. This sounds very specific to McDonald's, but. I don't know. I think, it's not a good thing on, for across no, the no, board. But yeah.
3: PR-wise, I think McDonald's will handle it a lot yes. better than Chipotle did. Yeah. You could, I would handle it better. I mean, that's not. <laughs> but with, with that said, again, if you're looking for a reason to get out of this name, this is as good as any. And again, on valuation, maybe it's gotten a, yeah. a little ahead of its keys. BK makes a good point. Technically, it hasn't traded well now in the last couple of months. All right.
1: Coming up, the big banks on deck for earnings, and a top technician says this could be your best chance to buy. He will be here to explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
0: Bitcoin continues to get crushed. So why is one former Goldman trader saying he'd buy it for his mama right now? He will reveal when Fast Money returns.
1: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. Welcome back to Fast Money. Judgment Day is imminent for the banks, with a number of the big banks set to report earnings tomorrow. And investors have hardly been kind to the group in the last three months. Goldman Sachs has plunged 13 percent. While Bank of America and J.P. Morgan have both dropped six percent. Citigroup also slumped five percent in that time, leaving many hoping that earnings could mark a big bank revival.
9: Leslie Pickers, back at headquarters, tell us what we can expect. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Bank investors are pinning their hopes on earnings for a much-needed boost to their stock prices. We'll see results from J.P. Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo tomorrow with Bank of America. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley reporting next week. Now this recent pessimism surrounding the industry has created what analysts consider to be a low bar when it comes to second quarter numbers. Analysts believe that banks simply have to report numbers in line with expectations with potential surprises to the upside stemming from a recent shift in the yield curve, a potential pickup in loan demand, and a benefit from regulatory reform. One problem spot could actually be mortgage revenue, which analysts expect to decline year over year due to the impact of higher rates. The main reason reason, though, for some of this recent underperformance, the yield curve, which has spent much of the last few years flattening. Additionally, some investors are concerned that bank earnings have already peaked. Even with pockets of weakness, though, banks could be poised to break out to the upside. The industry is trading at a multiple that's only two thirds of the S&P 500 multiple, about eight percentage points below historical levels. Again, it's a very low bar, Melissa.
1: All right. Thank you, Leslie. Leslie Picker in the newsroom. Our next guest says the banks are looking so bad ahead of earnings, they might actually be worth buying. We're going off the charts with FunStrat's Robert Schleimer. He's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hi, Rob.
7: Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. So if we're going to talk about banks, we've got to talk about the yield, uh, the 10-year bond yield and yield curve as a starting point. So I think if we look at the 10-year bond yield, remember, banks bottomed back in the uh, first quarter of 2016 ahead of where the 10-year bond yield bottomed. But there's been this sort of stair-step pattern in yields, and now we're over by the 200-day moving average. It's really been in a trading range. That 270 to 265 level, the 40-week or 200-day moving average is at 270. So I think there's actually quite a bit of support for bond yields at this level. Now, the yield curve, the 210 spread at least, has been heading all the way down, heading down through much of 16 and into 17. So that really hasn't provided a lot of support. But the banks have been able to move up higher. So that may not be as important as a lot of people are talking about. Now, when we look at the bank index, it's actually sitting at some fairly important support here as well, right around the 200-day moving average. We'd highlighted this a couple of weeks ago. The banks are down from those levels, but it's sitting right at the low end of that 2018 trading range. So expectations look very low from a technical standpoint going into earnings. And when we look at this momentum indicator, the RSI, it's not deeply oversold, but it's certainly not overbought in the same way that we saw coming into the beginning of the year. Sort of neutral, it's around 40, 46 or so. And I think the the response here is that we're going to get an upside move in the banks. So let's look at a couple of names, two big names, J.P. Morgan. And we've seen this pattern before. It trades sideways, catches up to its 200-day, trades sideways right around the 200-day. I think sentiment is very weak going into these numbers. I think they're at support. The momentum data is trying to hook up. I think it's a positive technical setup. Finally, when we look at Bank of America, same type of pattern, trading sideways over to the 200-day, See the same thing here, slightly below it, up. It's not a magic line, it's a general support level. And I think with the banks coming down, along with cyclicals, throughout 2018, is a pretty optimistic setup from a technical standpoint right here.
1: Rob, why don't you come on over?
3: You just
7: asked <laughs> him. You didn't no. ask I'm him.
1: I'm tired of asking you guys. Undecided. She doesn't ask us anything, wow. but Michelle. she asked the guests. Yeah. Rob, in
5: just Robert's come case. Yeah. <laughs>
4: you know what? That's good.
1: I mean, this is not a democracy. We're no. not, not <laughs> right now.
4: It yeah. used to be. Oh.
1: Okay. Robert, so the the chart relative to the S and P 500, the banks, was it was a bank's stri- strength or J P Morgan strength relative to the
7: S and P 500. At the, the bottom last one? of that chart yeah, was, was the R S I, the momentum indicator.
1: No, but the re- but the re- no relative performance to the S and P 500, not the R S I.
7: That's right. Well, the R the, the relative performance of the 500 was not on that yeah. chart, but it's been terrible. Okay. And it's been terrible since the beginning of uh, 2018, where they peaked along with many cyclicals, right? If you think about... That's yeah. the chart
1: I was talking about. That's the last one that... Oh, no, that's religious- oh. Sorry, that's yeah, RSI, actually, yeah.
7: Yeah, so that's, a, that's a, just a momentum indicator, uh, but it actually has the very same Throws. profile of the relative performance straight down throughout 2018, and the relative strength to the market has been a lot worse. Now, at these levels, really my call is that if you look at this consolidation that we've seen in cyclicals and banks throughout 18, we're six months into it, expectations have come down a long way. If you look at the economic surprise data for the G10, it mm-hmm. basically peaked in two thousand uh, beginning of eighteen. It's really oversold and starting to hook up. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean yields are going to uh, scream to the upside from here. But I do think that the sentiment for cyclicals for banks in general is a little bit overdone at these levels, I think these stocks pop in earnings.
0: So, Robert, you're, you're looking at a lot of large cap banks that might be in the ETF XLF. What about the, the
7: regional banks? KRE, do you look at those? To my eye, they look a little weaker than the, than the big caps? Well, today they certainly looked a lot weaker and maybe sort of this week. But in general, I actually think the chart looks better. If you look at the relative performance of the KRE to the BKX throughout eighteen, it's actually held in much better. So I actually think the regionals have better selective, but better looking technical profiles. Many of these names have gone over their 200-day uh, moving average and are starting to accelerate.
1: All right. Rob, thank you. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. What are you looking for tomorrow morning? Uh, hopefully green, green. I am. Lo- it's judgment day. It's judgment
5: day for my portfolio as well. Big egg exposure to all of them. Tomorrow only we we'll to see JP Morgan but that should give us some insight into a lot of different things loan growth talked about it a lot and then capital markets as well so for me though city represents the biggest upside potential but I'm I, yeah. long all three, Citibank, America, J.P. Morgan. Uh,
4: look, I, I think it's going to be a moderate quarter, but I think for most of these guys, it, it, J.P. Morgan's going to be mean record profits. Loan syndication growth is best it's been since 2007. You've got M&A, as Karen pointed out, which for two quarters in a row has been very strong. And the net interest margins, folks, continue to eke higher. Uh, but the most important thing is valuations at 9.9 times. You're at the bottom of a historical range, absolute bottom. Is that
3: fair in this environment?
1: were the bank earnings last quarter uh, pretty decent. They were decent. They They're were decent. all
3: decent and, and the, they the didn't price trade action well. was miserable. Yeah. And that's yeah. been the case for but quite some time. They ran into those earnings. They did run into those earnings. Yeah. But then you want to we didn't bring this up, but Dan Nathan has and I talked about it a while back. XLF, you have a you technician out there, armchair technician, you want to play the game, pull up an XLF chart and go back to 07, look where it topped out and look where it topped out earlier this year, basically 30 and a half. That's not particularly good. But JP Morgan I think will be strong. What I look at is Price to book. Price to book last quarter, J.P. Morgan, 67 and a half-ish, closer to 69. That's a good sign. What's the right multiple on that? i say at least one and a half, and you have a $125 stock. All right, still ahead. Hi, Mom. What? The former yeah. Wall Street oh. banker who said he
1: put his mother's money in crypto is back, with some advice for all the Bitcoin hodlers out there. Plus, Twitter soaring today after Goldman Sachs says its battle against the boss is actually a good thing for the stock. Are they right? The traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. Mobile trading app Robinhood has added new cryptocurrencies to its service. Let's get down to the, to the New York Stock Exchange and check in with Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob.
10: Hello, Melissa. Robinhood, the mobile stock trading app, has added two new cryptocurrencies. Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash have been added. They join Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, Robinhood launched these crypto trading services back in February. Robinhood says their crypto platform is available in 17 U.S. states, but they expect it to be available in all of the states by the end of 2018. Now, there's certainly no shortage of these platforms to trade cryptocurrencies. You all know that. There's the largest U.S.-based That's Coinbase, of course, but there's dozens of others out there, including Kraken, Poloniex, Bitfinex, Bittrex, both in and out of the United States. Any difference between these platforms? To me, the most important thing today is that Robinhood really offers a no-fee trading service. That's quite remarkable. Coinbase could charge almost 4%. Many of the other exchanges charge 25 to 50 basis points. Robinhood seems to be hoping that they'll get more customers in the door for other kinds of trades. They're likely selling those orders, by the way, to market makers and collecting some kind of fee. Now, whether Robinhood, which is an app that appeals primarily to more casual traders, can pull in serious crypto traders, uh, that's the issue that remains to be seen. The other platforms charge fees, but they're used, frankly, by more serious traders. Regardless, it's good news in general for everyone involved in the community because they're likely to see a bit more downward pressure on the fee structure overall. Keep in mind, this moves into the crypto space come even as Bitcoin continues to sell off. Remember, it's down more than 50% this year. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Bob. Thanks, Bob Pisani. Um, were you surprised, BK, that there wasn't a better reaction in the yeah. price of,
0: of Bitcoin it's, Cash? It's the funny. Other, yeah. It sh- goes right to exactly how dour the sentiment is in crypto right now. If this news had come out in December, these things would have been up 10, 15% in the day. That news came out, and people went, "Ooh." There's nothing going on. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I, it's very positive news in the long run for the sector. Uh, Robinhood has 5 million accounts now. Part of that is due to using Bitcoin and crypto as a loss leader. Um, so in general, I think it's very positive. But I was disappointed in today's reaction.
1: All right. Well, back in June, we asked our next guest if he would invest his mother's money in cryptocurrencies. Here's what he had to say.
11: Yeah. Absolutely. And it's all really? about sizing appropriately. So even if you're the most conservative investor out there, right, just because there's a lot of volatility, the actual risk-adjusted returns are, are quite good relative to other asset classes.
1: Mom's always right, but maybe not this time. Bitcoin is down about 7% since that call. Joining us now is Christopher Matta, the co-founder of Crescent Crypto Asset Management. He's back. He's brought some more advice for his mom, all the other moms out there in the hodlers. <laughs> what do you tell your mom? She's probably like, hey,
11: son, what happened? <laughs> Look, I would say stay calm. Uh, this is a long-term investment, which is what I said last time earlier in that clip. <laughs> and I think um, I think that's the main point. If you're if you're bullish on this technology and on this asset class, uh, you know, a one month period, it, it, there is a lot of short-term volatility. If you're looking two to five years out, which is what we recommend to all of our investors, um, the the bullish sentiment hasn't changed over the last six months. Regulators have started to step in, but uh, their general their general sentiment has been positive, and we think some more smart regulation in the space can be good, and. Right now we're trading in the tight band and we think over the long term we'll continue to appreciate. It.
1: Are you worried that that maybe the cryptocurrencies aren't acting like they used to act because there are certain structural changes? To how they are traded. I mean, with the introduction of Bitcoin futures, for instance, that creates a whole other, you know, that, that may yeah. have dampened volatility on a permanent basis. I mean, BK was noting how the reaction in the coins that were added to Robinhood today, there was no reaction. It was they still traded lower. Things aren't trading as they used to trade.
11: Yeah, but the volatility is still continued to stay at a heightened level. It's not like it's tough to draw a correlation between the futures launching and then decrease volatility or, or downward trend. I don't think there's necessarily causation there. Um, I think over the long term, uh, additional, additional products like ETFs and things can help increase the access to the, to the asset class, which will ultimately be a positive catalyst for the space. Uh, I think right now we're just in a downward trend, which we've been uh, in several times in the past in the cryptocurrency space. So anyone that's been in investing for the past several years has seen 70% pullbacks multiple times before. Like I said, if I was giving advice to holders, it would be stay calm, steady hands. Uh, if you're bullish for the long term, six thousand is a is a decent entry point, and and continue to hold.
0: So, Chris, what about new buyers? I mean, we need fresh money. A lot of the run-up that we had in November, December was the speculative frenzy, new retail money coming in. What yeah.
11: are you seeing from your fund stance? Are you seeing new buyers coming in, new investors? We are. We're still seeing new investors come in that are interested in the space, and thankfully, smarter heads prevail And in, in that they see this pullback and see a better entry point. You know, you want to buy low and sell high. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the crypto space bought at 20000 and sold at 10000 Panic sell, Um, and I think over the long term, as the infrastructure continues to get built, that's one of the biggest key pieces. As ETFs get launched, as there's options that are available, as the custody uh, piece gets figured out, and the infrastructure around security continues to improve, that will help bring not only retail people into the space, but also the institutional money that's kind of been sitting on the sideline waiting.
3: If scarcity value was the reason to own Bitcoin. Pre-futures. Did futures market basically diminish that scarcity value and take one of the catalysts away? I think that's what happened with gold, by the way, with the gold ETF. I don't know if you can make that comparison, but that's my view.
4: Yes. Although that's physically backed, isn't it?
3: Well, you would well, that's a much lo- yes and no, quite frankly.
11: No, I think I think the scarcity is still there and holding holding the underlying Bitcoin, you're gonna get unfortunately all the forks and, and things that come along with that that are that it makes it more complex to hold. The the futures which aren't physically settled. That's why I think ETFs that are physically backed or digitally backed um, by Bitcoin will be a huge impetus for the space. Um, But no, I I can't make that connection at least at this point. All
1: right. Uh, Chris, we're going to have to let you go. Uh, Thank you so much. Good to see you again.
11: Thanks. Appreciate it.
1: The argument I understand in terms of. Holders mm. have seen these drawdowns before, but at some point as a trader, if you're, if you're in this and it's not a five-year trade, it's, it's something a little bit shorter term, at what point do you say, you know what, I'm not – I've seen 70 well, percent already. As a trader, <laughs> if, we,
4: if we we're independent of, of what the underlying asset was, there, you, know, you, you go in, first of all, with a stop loss or a, a risk level, and based upon the underlying volatility of the product, you give yourself a little rope or a lot of rope. You need a lot of rope here. Um, and every person that comes on that's an advocate of Bitcoin or the crypto space says, you know, look, we're, we're five or six years into a period where this is not in any way unnatural to what we've seen. What, what's interesting or what would be interesting, Brian, it, what changes this thesis when every guy can come on here and say, you know what, I've got a lifetime to, to see this go higher?
0: Well, what changes the thesis is fresh money coming in. That's why I asked about it. So we know that Fidelity is probably. What turns it bad? What
4: turns it bad? So you guys can't show up anymore and say, you know what? In two years, it's going to be higher. I don't care what it does
0: before then. Uh, Well, I mean, you have just more sellers coming out of the woodwork, right? You don't get all those catalysts. You don't get an ETF. You don't get retail money in. You don't get institutional money in. And people just give up. I mean, remember that Bitcoin, while there is scarcity value, every 10 minutes, 12 and a half Bitcoin are are printed. And the miners sell, you know, let's call it about half of that roughly. So there's a constant supply of Bitcoin here without new capital in and, and nobody buying it. That could turn it negative.
5: In terms of your question like when do you bail, I think the question is really when you go in, how much do you go in with? And we talked for a long time about having it be a very small part of the portfolio, knowing that it could be Not 10 times price. or zero. Right. And so for, to me, I'm happy to sit with a small bet and, you know, hope and to, ride it. Ride it.
1: Coming up, the Twitter bot purge continues as millions of fake accounts get removed from the platform. But Goldman Sachs says it's actually a good thing for the stock. We will explain. Plus, Broadcom posting its worst day ever after announcing a nearly $19 billion bid for CA Technologies. But some traders see a major turnaround coming. We'll tell you what has them so bullish when we come right back.
3: They're doing a great job making sure that the platform is trusted and safe, and that's what it needs to be in order to have the information to show what's happening now in the world. Um, the world is changing pretty quickly, as we've seen over the last two years. And so it's just an arms race to stay up with all of the bad actors and the other factors that could influence the platform. But ultimately, I think they have the right orientation and prioritization to keep the platform healthy.
1: That was former Twitter COO and SoFi CEO Anthony Noto talking to CNBC's Julie Borson about Twitter's battle with the bots in Sun Valley earlier today. The stock's been on a wild ride over the last week after reports surfaced that the company purged 70 million fake accounts in May and June. Goldman Sachs coming out with a note today calling the move good for Twitter's business, upping the price target on the stock to 55. So are they right, Tim?
4: I think they're absolutely right. And, again, that 70 million accounts doesn't directly correlate to MAUs. So 360, 360-ish, I think they're well above that um, when you consider all the suspended accounts. But we don't want to consider them. Um, ultimately, I care about are they growing this user base. It's slow, but it's six quarters straight. They are still growing. And their ad revenue is up 29% or so. So, you know, where is Easy in Sun Valley? Mm-hmm. is a media, It's a media company, right? It's a media company. And to me, they are as unique as anybody out there, and they don't even need to be bought
3: remember having a conversation when the stock was 18, and there was some t- t- talk about them getting bought out of $24. One of the conversations we had is, if this deal doesn't go through, it might be the best thing that ever happened to Twitter. That's exactly what's happened. Twitter has finally figured it out. Not making a comparison to Facebook, but go back and look at Facebook in the first year and a half of their existence. They were floundering then they got their sea lakes. I think that's the same thing that's happening to Twitter. Took them a little bit longer, but I agree. Goldman Sachs, 55, it makes sense.
0: Yes, I, I think it's it's super healthy for Twitter to do this purge, even if they lose their followers and even if you think, okay, earnings are going to go down or MAUs are going to go down. Because, I mean, just myself have found Twitter to be unusable with the amount of bots. So and if I can use the platform more than everybody else can, and that's going to make for a better ecosystem.
5: That makes sense to me. Getting I mean, to, the street would love certainty much more than higher to numbers about the quality know, of the right. numbers.
1: right? Yeah, so that makes sense for them. All right, coming up, Broadcom getting slammed today after announcing a $19 billion bid for software company CA Technologies. But some traders are betting the sell-off is overdone. We will explain. Plus, let's get a peek inside the Mad Money studio with our Kramer cam. Tonight, Jim is taking a look at one group of stocks that's been overlooked amid all the trade war headlines. Meantime, much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Broadcom having its worst day ever after the chipmaker announced a $19 billion acquisition of software company CA. The move sending investors and Wall Street watchers alike into a frenzy today. Raymond James in a note saying the deal was out of left field, while Evercore ISI also downgraded the stock in a note titled, titled, What the Hawk? Referring to Hawk Tan, the CEO of Broadcom. Even Barron's questioning the motive behind the acquisition. So, did the CEO do the right thing here, or is Wall Street Right to worry. Go well,
3: ahead. the stock indicates that it it's right to worry, and a lot of people are saying, where did this come from? I mean, it makes no strategic sense for them to make this deal. Where did it come from? $19 billion is not insignificant for AVGO, and the stock has not traded all that well. It reeks to me, maybe, of a little bit of desperation. A stock that now has not performed over the last, I don't know, six months or so. Maybe they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. I think that's what the street is saying. At a certain point, though, you say to yourself, right, when does this make sense? On valuation, you know, they don't have that much earnings growth, but the stock has gone from basically 290 to current levels. My sense is, if we can get in the 175s, it starts to make a lot more sense. Not suggesting it's getting there, but that's to me where the entry point should be.
1: Is there hope that you're a Broadcom shareholder? Probably. I mean, maybe it is
5: overdone, but I, the thing to me that's far more troubling, I hate strategic shifts like this. It's a lot of risk, and so maybe it's overdone somewhat, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it here, hoping to. See it bounce three bucks or four bucks.
4: Yeah, I, I would agree. You want a transformational deal, but you want one that makes sense for the, for the business. And um, it's clear that these guys have been trying to get a deal done. Some bigger ones have tried and failed. Um, so 175, if you look at the stock, I brought that up, I think 170-ish. But again, where does the stock have some consolidation level? Otherwise, you know, it's in no man's land.
1: All right. Well, despite today's sell-off, options traders are betting on a big rebound for Broadcom. Let's get out to Mike Cohen in San Francisco with the latest. Hey, Mike.
12: Yeah, given today's news, it's probably not surprising that this is one of the names that saw the most unusual options activity over 20 times the average daily call volume traded in Broadcom today. And where we saw most of that activity was the August 220 calls. When I was looking at this earlier, over 5,000 had traded for an average price of 365. By the end of the day, 7,000 of those had traded. So these are bullish bets that it could recover above 220. Maybe not back to uh, where it was before this deal was announced, but above 220 by at least the amount that was spent, 365. So you can imagine that this might actually be a reasonable way to make a bullish bet, spending a little less than 2% of the stock price if you are inclined to bet on a little bit of a bounce here. One final point, options premiums have not risen in spite of this news, which I think is very surprising. And you know people should try to take advantage of that.
1: All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike in San Francisco, for more Options Action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to FAST, the big story of the after hour session. The Department of Justice challenging the ruling on the AT&T Time Warner merger. And tomorrow, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson will be on CNBC at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Time. You will not want to miss that newsmaking interview. Time for the final trade. Tim Seymour. Uh,
4: This Twitter discussion got me fired up about Twitter. I think you get long in the stock even after this move. Bull flag formation.
1: Chairwoman.
5: Yeah. I was going to say I want to go home with the one who brought me to the dance, Jamie Diamond. He didn't bring me to the dance. You wish he did. Exactly. So I'm going home with the one I wish brought me to the dance, Long J.P. Morgan.
1: BK.
0: Well, if Jamie does right tomorrow and we get good earnings, I think the regional banks are the place to be. KRE.
3: He would have been lucky to take you to the dance number it's one. Very, wow. very Your lucky. probably not thrilled to hear <laughs> this number two. But if CBS sells off on the back of all this noise, all this craziness, I believe that CBS is a vibe now. All
1: right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.